return is very close And so you better be believing that our God is an awesome God Our God is an awesome God Welcome to a service at Holy Life Tabernacle in Brookings, South Dakota. We are proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Now let's go into the sanctuary and here's today's message. With the love of Jesus, so glad that you're joining in. Not an accident that you found this channel or this video. And I just want you to know how much Jesus loves you. Amen. And cares about your life. So we're talking about that love today, that love of Jesus Christ. And, uh, of course, it's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Remember, gifts are given, fruit grows. Turn to your neighbor say, you need to grow. Everybody needs to grow, uh, especially in the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, love is key because God is love, the Bible says in First John, right? So God is love. So if we're going to grow, John 15 uh, Jesus said, I'm the true vine, you're the branches. You have to be attached to the source of love in order to grow in love. So, so uh, if you're harsh or whatever, you're probably not sucking off the vine too well. And in, when you are in the vine and attached in the vine to grow more fruit, because the goal is always to grow more fruit. A farmer always wants to produce more crops, good crops. The goal in Christ is to produce more fruit, that in turn there will be a pruning, which isn't bad, it's good. He prunes us through the Word. So as I read the Word of God, it's constantly adjusting my attitude, adjusting the way I think and so forth, and maybe reminding me of something I said or did that wasn't right to ask for forgiveness. And so there's constant prunings in our life. That's good. When we're pruned, we bear more fruit. Amen? That's just, that's just really important. We get over here to Mark chapter 12, where Jesus talked about two great commandments. You love the Lord with all your, uh, love you, the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which is the first. But the second's like it in that, first is vertical, second is horizontal, you love your neighbor as yourself. These, on these things hinge, hinge all the things of the Old Testament. It's hinged on love, all right? And so the proportion that you love God is the proportion that you're going to love people. So if you say, oh, I really love Jesus, well, then you should really love people. Okay, so it's proportional. It's proportional. That's why we want to be in the Bible. We encourage Bible reading. You want to be in your Bible all the time. You want to grow in this love relationship with the one who forgave you. Hallelujah. Brought forgiveness into your life. Brought life into your life. In turn, then, you want to love others like he loved you. Amen? So we've never, we've never, uh, none of us had a pretty life. None of us have it all together. <laughs> but Jesus Christ still loves us. The Bible said he loves us while we were enemies. Consequently, as Jesus taught, even in the Sermon of the Mount, you should love your enemies, whoever or however you perceive people. If you love your enemies, you obviously love everybody, right? So it's how you, how you treat people. It isn't that you like everybody, but how you treat people is very, very important. All right? So, so these things come into mind here. So it's proportional. 
I can't minister to people if I have an empty reservoir. So if I have no love, I'm not going to minister to people. I can, I can fake it. I can fake it and say, ah, I love God. I can come to church, say Christianese, praise the Lord, hallelujah, whatever. But I have no love in here. Then I'm probably going to act like a beast at home and other places. You can't give what you don't have. Amen. Now, really listen close here. This is pivotal. This is pivotal not only for each of our lives. This is pivotal for the world. This is a message you can share with other people. You can share with other Christians. You can share with anybody in the world, for that matter. This is pivotal. How we, how, we, how we soak in God's love to give out God's love. Now, Jesus went on from there in John 13, talking to the disciples, and he gave a commandment. So, so there are very few commands in the New Testament. One was to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Great command. But here's another one. Command, you should love one another. You should love people. You should say amen to that. Just as I've loved you. So I think how Jesus loved me, especially when I think before as a Christian, and think how he loved me, and I think, oh, Lord, you're so good. He is so good. He loves everybody. We have to understand this. God loves everybody. So Jesus says, this is how people are going to know that you're my disciples. So it doesn't come down to, they're going to know you're my disciples because signs, wonders, and miracles, and all these things. It doesn't come down to that. It doesn't come down to that. It comes down to this godly, agape love that's coming out of our lives. And that's how other people are going to know, like, they're going to, they're going to get a taste of Jesus Christ because of what you give out. And so this is how people are going to know you're my disciples. Then if you love one another and keep showing that love amongst yourself. So you keep loving people. You keep giving out to people. You keep sharing with people. It begins in your home. It begins with your spouse if you're married. It begins with your own kids or your grandkids. It begins on your job. All these places. That's where, that's where you're in lab to do what he's asked you to do. Amen. So we want to pass this on to people. Pastor Randon had an article in the paper this week on the love of God. Very powerful, very good. A message to send to our community. A message to send to believers, amen? And then Romans 13 just says, Oh, no man, anything but love. We owe love. <laughs> so it doesn't come down to what you feel. It doesn't come down to, Well, I'm going to wait for the Spirit to lead me. Forget it. He's already given you a command. So just get over your feelings. Turn to your neighbor and say, get over your feelings. <laughs> get over your feelings toward people, and you'd have to just decide, okay, I'm going to embrace what Jesus said. It's not a prayer issue. It's not, I'll pray about it. Not a prayer issue. Not a prayer issue. It's an obedience issue. I see so many Christians walking in the flesh, and I see so many Christians, I'm spirit-filled, and act so corny and ungodly, and I think I'm distancing myself from those people. I'm not going to associate people that aren't doing the Word of God. And in this day and time, folks, there's a lot of sifting going on because people are just living in the flesh and calling it the Holy Spirit and so forth. Not the Holy Spirit. If it doesn't have the love of Jesus stamped on it, not the Holy Spirit. How do I know that? Because God is love. The Holy Spirit is love. Jesus is love. That's how I know that. All right. Lots of Christians got to get some discernment. To walk in this love. All right, 1 John 3, 18 then says, love is an action, of course. And so, we don't love just in word or tongue, but we do something, right? You have to do something. You have to have actions. Of course, truth is according to the word of God. Of course it is. 
But we have to do something in terms of how we demonstrate this love toward other people. However, you're led on that, but do something. Amen. It's not just words. It's not that I love you. It's got to get beyond words. How do you show that love? Everything about love is giving. Fruit is action. The fruit of the Spirit is action. So God so loved the world, he gave. So he demonstrated his love for us while we were yet sinners. Now we go to Philippians chapter 2. Now in Philippians chapter 2 then, if God is love, and we have have the Holy Spirit, we have Jesus, the Trinity, then, then our model for love is Jesus Christ. So this attitude, or this purpose, or this mind... King James says, let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. So this comes down to an attitude, all right? It's an attitude of humility. He was essentially one with God, in the form of God, all right? And it says he didn't think himself, uh, uh, the equality is a thing to be eagerly grasped, retained, but stripped himself of all privileges and rightful dignity as to assume the guise of a servant, and that he became like men and was born, born as a human being. So Jesus, Jesus had this mind or this attitude. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to model my father's nature. God is love. I'm going to model my father's nature. Now listen to me real close. This will help a lot of people. If we model his father, our father's Nature. His nature is love. He cares about people. And I'm talking, that doesn't mean compromise. I'm not saying love, oh, we just compromise. Anything goes. Absolutely not. But still, how we treat people, especially people that we think have wronged us or doing bad or whatever it might be, how we treat them is how people are going to see God. Now, let me read you a verse. Let's go to Mark chapter 26 and verse 27. There's a verse here where King Herod went and he sent an executioner. Now, remember John the Baptist had had spoken to Herod. He said, it's not right to have your brother Philip's wife. So Herod had a brother. He has an affair with his brother's wife. He takes his brother's wife in marriage, all right? And John is just saying, this is not right. You've sinned. You've committed adultery, okay? You've sinned. And so from that, Herod's wife then was very much against John the Baptist and had, his da- had her daughter at Herod's birthday to have a big dance. Big dance. A suggestive dance. A lewd dance that entertained the people. And everybody was so pleased that Herod said, I'll give you whatever you ask up to half the kingdom. And she went to her mama and she says, what should I ask? And she said, ask for the head of John the Baptist. And Herod was kind of grieved, but because of his oath. Now, I heard a message years back when I was in college. (laughs) People say, well, he didn't have a choice. He did have a choice. He did have a choice. I was visiting with David Wilkerson and David Wilkerson said, yeah, his choice was, he said, you can't have this head. That's my half. I'll give you half the kingdom. Oh, no, that's my half. What else do you want? But he didn't. He caved into the pressure. Everybody's looking at him and said, are you going to give her what she requested? And so he sends an executioner, which is a professional killer, with a, with a big axe. 
to go into the prison. And they lay John the Baptist down and they chop off his head. And they bring his head in on a nice silver platter. Bring it into the ballroom. Everybody's there. Nice silver platter. So you can imagine the blood that's dripping here. And they bring the head of John the Baptist on. And they present it to Herod, who gave it to uh, Herodias' da- daughter. And presents, she presents it to her mama. So this was the scene playing out. Now, the question is... The question... Now, you have to remember, Herod is, is the, the, the son of the Herod when Jesus was born. And when Jesus was born, remember, Herod was jealous. And so he sent executioners into the Bethlehem region and killed hundreds and hundreds of children from two years old and younger. And so there was weeping and mourning. It's a massacre, massacre of hundreds of children. Sent into the Bethlehem area because he knew a king was going to be born. And so he thought, well, I'm going to get him. I don't know where he's at, but I'm going to get every child then that's at that age. Imagine this. So the Roman soldiers come in the house. You've got an 18-month-old child. Give me that child. Give me that boy. Killed him. And 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 the Bible says there's weeping and mourning. And this Herod is the son of him, of that Herod that did that. Now, we have to understand, see, see, people act like, oh, the, the New Testament, they're under Roman rule. It was severe. It was harsh. It was mean. And they come and tell Jesus, the disciples went and got the body. God bless them. Went into the castle, whatever, said, we want the body. They got the body. They buried John the Baptist. And after they buried John the Baptist, they came back to report to Jesus how John was killed. Now, here's my question. What did Jesus say? John the Baptist, who he knew, personally knew, loved, had in some respects probably grown up as a child, as a second cousin. What did Jesus say? We have a government official who executes, chops off his head. What did Jesus say? Let me, let me, let me put it in today's language. What if in today's language, because people get so distorted and so, let's put it in today's English, uh, language. What if, what if Billy Graham was arrested and there was protests and we know we don't like him and they killed Billy Graham in a public way? How, would, how do you think the church would respond? How do you think Christians would respond? Now listen to me. I'm so embarrassed. You've got to hear me out online. I'm so embarrassed of Pentecostal churches. Charismatic churches. I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed that people take to prophesy in the name of the Lord. And of course, when anything happens, they get ruffled. They're prophesying. They're pointing their fingers. At government officials, heads of state, people in authority, judgments coming. I told you, as I'm plugged into the vine, and he keeps snipping things in my life. And he says, Dave, I want you to look at this. I want you to adjust your attitude. I want you to adjust what you say. So what did Jesus say? What did Jesus say about Herod? 
What did Jesus say about the Roman Empire? What did he, what did he say about this atrocity? Atrocity. What he said was nothing. He never even addressed it. He said nothing. Say nothing. No words. He didn't, he didn't prophesy revenge. He didn't shake his head in disgust. He didn't say, we'll get him someday. He said nothing. Now, if you're listening here and you're listening in this place and online, hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. Because every time you see something happen, and let's, let's just put it in the United States perspective. I know this happens all over the world. But let's put it in the United States where we live. Every time you hear about something happening, every time you hear Christians rising their voice and pronouncing judgment, I'll guarantee you every time they're wrong. Amen. Just hear me out here. Talking about the love of God. I will guarantee you every time they are W-R-N-G wrong. People see what happens. They take offense. I'm a Christian. They can't do this to me. I'm a Christian. I got these rights. You never see that with Jesus. You don't see that with the apostles. You didn't see that with the disciples in the book of Acts. You never see that. And the reason you don't is because they're modeling their father. I think a lot of people know scripture. But when it comes down to living the love of God, few people are touching it. They go to work. I don't like that person. I don't like what they're doing. Lord, just deal with them. Deal with them, Lord. And he's probably saying, uh, you know, if you'd read your Bible this morning, I would have dealt with you. But you didn't read it. If you looked at your own life, you got all these ugly things growing off the thing here that are dead. They kind of need to be trimmed. Wow. Jesus never addressed Herod, the Roman leader, the executioner, all that happened. He never addressed it at all. Nor the massacre that happened after he was born. What does it mean? It means that God loves people. Was it right what Herod did? No, it was 100% wrong. Is the world fair? No, the world is not fair. Are there injustices everywhere? Are there things that are wrong? Yeah, all around us. But God isn't out here for revenge against the perpetrators. He's out here to love people to get them into the kingdom. We must realize this. Otherwise, we get caught up in the same warfares as everybody else does. So in Mark 6, verse 29, of course, Jesus comes. Disciples heard it. They came. They took his corpse. They laid it in the tomb. The disciples that gathered Jesus told him everything and what they had done, what they had taught others who ministry and so forth. He said, come aside yourselves to the desert place. Rest a while, for there are many coming and going. They do not have time to eat. And there, there from that point, enters into the place where Jesus is going to do what? Jesus is going to feed uh, 5,000 people. What does that mean also? People are hungry. People are oppressed by the Roman Empire and so forth. Roman rule. But he did not address the Roman Empire. 
He did not address the oppressors. What, what is the point? The point is we are vessels of his love to reach people. I cannot reach people if I hate people. I cannot reach people if I'm so angry at them and gritting my teeth. I'm not going to reach them. I can't reach people if I got this in my heart, which just thinks, well, I'm not going to, I'm not even going to talk to them. I can't reach people if I'm praying on my knees, but I'm praying like this to get them. Never reach them. Never reach them. Don't turn off the camera. Don't turn off your phone listening. How are we going to reach people? In India, they go and they, they tortured a pastor and so forth like that. Then after they tortured him to death and they hung him to say, that was a suicide. Of course, he's bruised and all this and bloodied and stuff like that. And they hang him in the church. And what do the church people do? They took him down. They buried him. They prayed for his wife. And someone else stepped in right away and said, I'll pastor now. I'll pastor. I'll share about Jesus. And they went on the next Sunday and they had a service. I tell you, you know, the, the carnal, the natural man is revengeful. The natural man wants to extract flesh from people. You did that to me, I'll do this to you. You did that to my friend, we'll get you. You can imagine if Billy Graham was executed in the United States, the fallout. You can imagine. Why? I look at what's happening right now and I see the fallout. Good grief. Compared to the world, folks, there's really no problems. But somehow in America, this is just hell. People are hell-bent for something. Prophesying in the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord, help us. Folks, this is not pretty. This is a reflection on our church. Why? Because I believe in Jesus and I believe in the Holy Spirit and I believe in prophecy. I believe in praying in tongues. I believe all those things. I believe in ministering to people. But I do not want to identify with people who are angry and hateful. I won't identify. Not going to have it. It's not God. It's not what Jesus is. It's not the love of God. Now, who's our model? Jesus Christ, right? Right? He's our model. Therefore, I guess, as I read my Bible, we should do what Jesus did. Hey, this... I'm getting snippers on me all the time. And, and, uh, but I realize the importance of this. Let me read another one. Let's go, let's go over here to Matthew chapter 5. Now, in Matthew chapter 5, and it's also in Luke, but there's the Sermon on the Mount. They call it the Sermon on the Mount because they're on a hillside and he's talking to people. In the Sermon on the Mount, if you look at all of it that he's talking about, he contrasts a lot from the old. The old says and the new says. Or you'll say, the old says, but then you'll say, but I say unto you. And so he'll contrast. We have old, we have new. And this is, this is part of the problem is so many Christians are living in the Old Testament. So that's why they feel justified saying the things they say. Amen. But we're not in the Old Testament, honey. <laughs> we're in the new. <laughs> so it says here, you've heard it said, Old Testament, you should not commit adultery. Of course, that's a big deal. But Jesus says, but I say. Now, I like this. You've got the old and the new. Actually, the new is much tougher than the old. Old had all these consequences, but the new is a higher standard because we have the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And Jesus said, I say, if you look at a woman, you're just looking at her, lusting at her, 
You committed adultery in your heart. Pretty powerful, isn't it? Wow. Oof. Be careful. Now, we all see people, but you don't have to stare at people. You don't have to have a second look. Right? You don't have to have a second look. So, so the Old Testament is contrast here. The old sermon about old and the new and how he looks at it. So into this, into this scenario now comes the woman caught in adultery. John chapter 8, verse 3. We're close on time here. So let, let's just go a little bit here. So they bring to Jesus a woman caught in adultery. And they throw her, they set her in, a, in the midst. And they said, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. So they, they had a setup. They catch this woman having sex with a man. Now the man isn't there. Don't know where he's at. But they catch the woman having sex. So she's naked. And they take her and they bring her out to Jesus, you know. And set her in the midst. And of course, I would assume she knows the old as far as being stoned to death. And I would assume she's on her knees, probably weeping and so forth. And, and the, the Pharisee says, now the law says that she should be stoned. This is the law. That's the old. What do you say? I always got to remember, old again. Folks, if prophecies are going to come out of the Old Testament and they're negative, dump it. Amen. Turn off the YouTube. Hello. Amen. Turn it off. We're not saying people aren't Christians, but I'll tell you what, you better test the spirit and you better judge it. So when I look at stuff, I'm immediately judging. Oh, forget it. Wrong. People say, you can't, you can't even say that. And again, we've got a minister down in Omaha saying, you question me, you'll get leprosy. And I'm thinking, you are a wacko. Amen. That's Old Testament. What, how are you going to believe this stuff? You can't make it up sometimes. It's like, are you kidding me? You're going to say that? And everybody's like, we're, we're not cursing. It's the man of God. We get this all over the world. Africans, oh, you got to question the man of God. Well, you better question the man of God. You better not just believe everybody because they said it, that settled it. No, that doesn't settle anything. The Word of God settles stuff. I'm going to test what you said. Turn to your neighbors and say, be discerning. People get pushed on fear, backed into corners. The Lord told me. And I'm thinking, maybe he did. Let me hear what he told you. Maybe he did. If he did, it'll be pretty clear. I had a vision in the night. Maybe, or it was the pizza. I don't know. Let me know. We're going to see once. Tell me what, he's, tell me what your vision is about. Amen. See, we've got Christians, especially see in the, in the Pentecostal charismatic, they're so gullible. The Lord said, the Lord told you. And they want to repeat it. I can't tell you how many things the Lord told me. I hit the delete. I get things sent to me. Delete. Oh, delete. Delete. So Moses said, kill her. Kill her. She should be so. Kill her. Execute her. Right here. Right here in public. People think, people think today in, in, uh, for radical Muslims or radical Hindus, and they're so radical. Let me just tell you, the Jews were radical. The Jews were not afraid to publicly have public executions. Hello. If you read your Bible, the Jews were pretty ruthless. So, we all, again, we want to point at all these people and then we're saying, and Israel is just perfect. Well, Israel's not perfect. 
I met Jews that tore up because Bibles were given. They tore up the Bibles because it's nice soft paper and they used it as toilet paper. I've met them. I like the Christians, they said, because they gave, gave us Bibles with soft paper and we used it as toilet paper. Kind of quiet here, but she was supposed to be executed publicly right there in the square. Jewish law, killer. So they said testing Jesus that they might have, of course, something to accuse him. And Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, you have to understand, Jesus already had the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus already said things old, but I say this. So Jesus stoops down and he writes on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear them. So you have a group of people. The woman's in the middle. They've got their rocks. And Jesus, you know, he hears all the things and he's talking. Okay. So he's writing in the ground. And they're watching. As he writes in the ground, let's go, let's go to the verse seven and eight. So Jesus writes, they continued asking him, hey, she should be stoned. You know, the law is right. She should be stoned. We need to execute her right now. And Jesus himself got up and he said, raised up. He who is out without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stoops down and he writes in the ground. This is his comment. So, so, notice now, he's not deriding them. He's not saying, you know, like getting them. He's just, he's without sin, let him throw the first stone. And so Jesus gets down, and he goes down to the ground again. Now, what was Jesus writing? He's already said, they could say, I haven't committed adultery. My wife and I haven't committed adultery at all. Maybe Jesus was writing on the ground, though, and says... Yeah, I know that, but, but Samuel, I saw you looking over at your fence at your neighbor as she was burying, looking at her naked body. And he's like, what was Jesus? I think he was writing words of knowledge. Words of knowledge is a supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus had everything of the Holy Spirit. But it's knowledge of what's happened. And he's writing knowledge on the ground. And he's writing to them about their lives. Oh, yeah, but I saw you do this. And I saw this over in your life. And so they're all, they're all, you already said he's without sin. They're all looking at him. He knows what I did. You know, Drop the stone and so forth. And they get the next one. Oh, <clears throat> that guy, he's been exposed. And then the next one drops the ground stone. And he, you know, one by one. All dropping their stones. Because he's writing on the ground, words of knowledge. He's writing on the ground about their lives. And he says, He that's without sin. Was the woman guilty? Yeah, guilty. Yeah. Again, I don't know where the man was, but she's guilty. All right. But was she guilty? Yeah, she was guilty. Let's go to verse 9 and 11. So Jesus then comes, when they heard it, what he said, he that's without sin, convicted by their conscience, went one by one from the oldest to the last, to the youngest. Because he's writing on the ground. Now, I would guess, again, so many things in the Bible you can read in 30 seconds, but they took a long time. As he's writing on the ground. We don't know how many people there were, but I would guess he had something for each person there. 
And as they were convicted, they dropped their stones and they went away. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst and Jesus, Jesus raised himself up. He's still on the ground. He saw no one but the woman. I would guess he's just hearing them leave. As he gets to the last one and they're gone, they walk away. And he, Jesus saw no one but the woman. And he said, woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, there was only one in the midst that had no sin. And that was Jesus Christ. He that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Only one without sin. I'm here to tell you, Jesus isn't going to throw stones at you. Jesus isn't going to wreck your life. Jesus is not to punish you. Jesus isn't out to get you because you did something wrong. Now, love is tough, right? Not compromise. People say, well, just wishy-washy and the woman goes free. No, he said, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. So, Jesus is the only one who could have thrown a stone. But he doesn't. Instead, he offers grace and forgiveness. Christians can be ruthless. Christians, lots of times, want to kill their own wounded. You know, people, someone gets wounded, someone gets hurt. I've seen denominations. A pastor has a struggle and so forth, and he has to leave the minister, and it's like someone else, oh, I get to get promoted now, and they're looking to climb the ladder. Oh, never mind what happened to Bill over here. Oh, never mind. It's too bad for Bill. Ah, it's too bad. He's lost my game. Let's, let's try one more scripture here. Luke 9. So the Samaritans. So Jesus is going to go. He's going to Jerusalem. He set his face. So I'm going to Jerusalem. And I'm going to, he's going to die there. All right. So, so he knew that he, what he was going to do. He knew the call at the, at the uh, uh, transformation. You know, they're talking to Jesus about what he's doing and his death and all these things like that. He's ready to go. So he sends messengers before his face, and they were going to go into a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. And when they did not, uh, but they did not receive him because his face was for the journey to Jerusalem. So, so the Samaritans and Jews, there's racial issues here. And so, so Jesus, they want, he wanted to spend the night there. Now this could be, this could be actually Sychar, we don't know. Remember John 4, and he mentions the woman at the well, and then he spends two days there at Sychar, and the men believe and all that. Wonderful time and stuff. Now he's passing through Samaria, needs a place to stay, eat, and so forth. And they, the disciples come and just say, hey, he's passing through. And they say, no, 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 we don't want him here then. If he's passing through, going to Jerusalem, we don't want him here. So the disciples take offense. Many people in our world today, they sometimes don't even know someone, but they'll take an offense. They'll get upset. They'll get angry because of something that was said or done. Or someone that maybe didn't even happen. They just, nothing happened here other than that. They just said no. So the disciples come after this, and, and so they're, they're angry. And it says this in the next verses here. Let's see the next verses. So 
The disciples come, James and John, when they saw this, and they saw the people weren't going to receive Jesus, they thought, what? You're not going to receive him? He's like the Messiah. And they go to Jesus and they said, Lord, do you want us to command down fire to come down from heaven and consume them like Elijah did? Now, keep in mind, this is, this is John the Beloved. Woo! Who wasn't so loving at this point. He wrote the scriptures on love. He was just a man full of love. Oh, love just oozed out of him. Let's call down fire and kill them all. Let's wipe out this whole village. Never mind, they maybe talked to a few of the village leaders, but let's just kill them all. Let's just, they represent them all. Let's kill them. Let's just be done with it. Now, think about it now. These are followers of Jesus Christ. Understand? And now they're quoting the Bible. Old Testament. Do you understand? So they're followers of Jesus. They're quoting the Bible. They sound very, very spiritual. They're coming to Jesus. And they're 100% wrong. 100% wrong. What are they wrong about? Jesus is love. Jesus cares about those Samaritans. He doesn't want to kill the Samaritans. He wants to reach the Samaritans. Followers followers of Jesus quoted the Bible, sounded religious. The Lord said, let's call down fire, whatever. No. Jesus turned and rebuked them. Now, this is very strong language. And he said, you don't know what manner of spirit. Manner of spirit means it's not the Holy Spirit. Can we agree on that? Amen? Amen. Not the Holy Spirit here. Followers of Jesus quoted the Bible, very religious, totally wrong. Jesus said, you don't know what manner of spirit you are. The Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Any prophecy you hear that's destructive, throw it out. Throw it out. I pray someone shares this, share it with people, share it with spirit-filled people, share it especially with spirit-filled people. Why? Because Jesus didn't come to destroy lives. He came to save lives. So anytime you see something that's destructive, it doesn't matter who it comes from. It doesn't matter who the ministry is. No, no. Test it. If it's destructive and harmful to people... Then it's wrong. Well, I think so. But the Lord told me. Oh boy, I get this all the time. No, he didn't. Sorry. That's why the new covenant is so powerful. That's why we are powerful. That's why we are agents of love. That's why God wants us in the world to tell people about Jesus. That's why he wants us out there. That's why we should be his representatives. May someone mistreat us. Maybe. May someday some of us die. Maybe. May things not go your way. Might happen. That doesn't negate the word of God. So, just quickly, John 3.17. John 3.17. Well, everybody quotes 16, but 3.17. He didn't send his son in the world to judge it, reject it, condemn it, pass a sentence on it. He didn't send Jesus to do that. He sent Jesus in the world that that people would get saved, find salvation. He sent Jesus to save people. 
So it's not condemnation, judgment, and all that. Is love tough? Absolutely. Are there still standards? Absolutely. It doesn't change. However, the love of God is still there to reach people. To reach people. Amen. I was I was with a with a criminal one time in Africa and who had killed many many people, and a person came up to him. A Christian came up to him. You can never be saved. He sacrificed babies, literally. He sacrificed babies. They drank the baby's blood. They did all these things. They killed thousands of people. But a person, of course, from America, said, "You can't be saved. What you did, you can't be saved. Can't be forgiven." Heard him talk, and there's a representative of the United States Embassy from the ambassador. Ambassador there, as he talked, people wept because this guy was so bad. But the good news is he got saved. Now, guess what? God forgives us. So many times people say, well, they get what they deserve. No, you get what you sow. We deserve love and grace. Galatians, I won't go there, but Galatians just says, you know, you reap what you sow. And people say, you get what you deserve. When AIDS came out and people say, well, the homosexuals, they're just getting what they deserve. No, 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 they're getting what they sowed. No one deserves that. No one deserves cancer. No one deserves a heart attack. No one deserves bankruptcy. No one deserves a divorce. No one deserves these things. We might plant things that aren't good and so forth, and so it processes out and something happens. Okay, but you're not getting what you deserve. I'm not getting what I deserve. Hallelujah! <laughs> when I leave this earth, it won't be anything like, Hey, I'm the pastor. I'm coming to heaven. Thank God. I'll say thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for loving me. It's the self-righteous. The self-righteous. The pompous. They got what they deserve. You should never rejoice over someone's death. Not even a terrorist. Who knows? Maybe the executioner in Herod's Hall got saved. Maybe he'd heard John talking in prison and so forth. And Herod actually kind of liked John, you know. He kind of liked John. And maybe, maybe the executioner heard John talking about, no, you need to repent. You need to trust Jesus, the Messiah, is here coming. And then Calvary happens and so forth. And the executioner is a Roman soldier and he realized, man, remember the captain, the centurion there said, this was the Son of God. And maybe that executioner, they're talking, and they, I think he is, let's follow him. That's the kind of God we serve. We serve a God of love who is gracious and merciful and loves people all over this planet. A God who's not trying to strike people down. He's not trying to judge people. He's not trying to intimidate people. Not trying to do anything like that. A God who loves everybody. No matter what the person has done. You can think about people, what have they done. I want you to always frame them with the heart of Jesus. With love. I want you to look at people that way. I want you to embrace that. We're here to reach people. We're not here. We're not a... You're not a judge, jury, or anything. You're here to reach people. You're here to bless people. Amen? We have a mission. Our mission is to take this God of love to the world and tell people. World religions all over the world are oppressive. Every religion is oppressive. Christianity is the only religion that can bring relief and liberty, forgiveness, and grace. It's beautiful. It's really beautiful. It's amazing. We've got to stop here today, but let me pray. Father, thank you for the people here. Thank you for the people listening. 
Thank you that you are a God of love. Thank you for that you live in us. And therefore, Lord, we can love like you love. We can be like you. Hallelujah. And Lord, I thank you that we're growing. I do thank you, Lord. You're trimming our attitudes and so forth. But help us to think like you think, to act like you lacked. Help us to do what you do, Jesus. Help us to bless people all around us. Help us to give out grace. Help us to give out grace to people. Lord, we're not excusing sin, but we just pray, help us to give out grace. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving people here, people watching, even people that are not Christians. Even if you're hearing right now, it's not hard to become a Christian. Become a follower, true follower of Jesus Christ. All we do is we open our heart and you just say, say with me, say, Lord Jesus, I open my heart to you. And I thank you for loving me. And I ask you today, forgive me, cleanse me of all my sins. I receive your love. Help me to be like you, Jesus. And thank you for the Holy Spirit that gives me strength today to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's thank the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, reach. Thank you for listening to this inspirational message. We trust that you were encouraged in your faith. For additional information or resources, please contact the church at 605-692-4616. You can email us at holylife at brookings.net or visit our website at holylifetabernacle.com. If you're in the Brookings area, please stop by to visit a service. We are located at 241 Mustang Pass, just off Main Avenue South. Our service times are Sundays at 10 a.m. and 6.30 p.m., also Wednesday nights at 7. God bless you.